And uh, I'm finishing off our How to Live with Humans series. Who has enjoyed the series so far? Who liked week one? Who can remember week one? <laughs> and, um, you know, it, I, I've really enjoyed this series, partly because I've had to do a lot more digging myself in, in, in the Word of God. And uh, I probably overextended myself in terms of how much I was putting into each week. And I feel like we could have done this series over two months and really camped on it. And it's something that I'm trying to work on as a pastor uh, and putting all these series together that um, how do we, you know, get the most out of each series but not get boring as well. Like, you know, like, oh, week six of whatever it is. I know that you've all got a Netflix attention span. You're like, flick off, let's What's a new series? Come on, guys. And so we're trying to, to manage that tension, I guess. And I always love to give as much that God has been giving to me. But we'll work on it. We'll get there. Uh, but it is the final week. And uh, uh, next week, we're going to do something really different. Uh, we've never done this before. It is something that we are experimenting with because as a church, we love uh, to experiment, try new things and see what works, see what doesn't work. And we're going to call it, we, we are calling it Circle Sunday. So look around you right now. You see how everyone is seated in rows? That's not how it's going to be just for next week. Uh, we're going to be seated in circles, but kind of more semi-circles. Uh, and um, we'll be breaking up into uh, our lift groups, our small groups. But for those who are not part of a small group, that's totally cool. Uh, come along anyway, and, and you'll join up with one of the groups. We're looking at each group being about uh, 10 to 15 people. And what we're going to be doing in these circles, we'll still have a time uh, of worshiping God. Uh, but what we want to do from there is instead of me standing up here talking for uh, half an hour or more, normally more, um, instead we'll be putting up questions that you have been asking and sending them through over the last couple of weeks and we'll put them up, we'll talk briefly about it, we'll do a quick recap on the principles and then in your small groups you'll be discussing how to apply these principles because as I have mentioned through the series we are talking about the principles of relationship. We're not talking about, I haven't been able to with the time that uh, we've got, uh, been able to take the principle and then give you uh, the, the practicals, but also a part of relationships is that they are so varied, isn't it? The very fact that your relationship is with a unique individual or a bunch of unique individuals means that every relationship is therefore unique. And so for me to be able to explain this is how you will always do relationships is completely false. Uh, but rather what we're hoping to do in these circles is to get the wisdom and the experience that each and every person has with your varied experiences and be able to share with one another, hey, this is how I think we can apply this principle or this is how I think we can uh, get over that issue that might come up in trying to apply this principle. So I really hope that uh, next week is going to be engaging and, and, and why we thought of doing a Circle Sunday as well as much as I've explained that practically speaking it's something that I think will be really interesting. Uh, but a couple of our values as a church is number one, Lift is a place where your name matters. This is something that we've been talking about over the last three uh, years since we put together these values. We don't want a church where you come in and then you go out and you don't know anyone. If there's anything that gets my goat most as a pastor is that any one of our leaders, our key team, after uh, uh, comes to me and says, who's that person who has been attending for the last six months? 
what's that name again? I'm like, how have you not known the name yet after six months of a person attending? I mean, if that person attends once uh, every three months, then maybe I, I, I can forgive that. Uh, but, but I want to have a church. I, I hope that you all want to have a church where when you come in, people know you. You don't have to explain who you are. I mean, it, you're comfortable to, to share your story because your name captures so much of who you are. When someone thinks of Nate Four, you understand my journey, you understand that I'm a pastor, you maybe know that I've studied X amount of years, you know that I've got a son, you know all of these things about me just by listening to my name, you know? Uh, it, it summarizes who a person is. And so Lyft is a place where your name matters. And so we, we don't want you to just be able to come in, sit on a row and then head off and no one knows you and you don't know anyone as well. well get to know each other. Next week's a great chance. It's a very uh, informal environment. No one's going to snap your head off. If you say the wrong thing, it's totally cool. You're just sharing your experiences in relationship. And the other core value is that Lyft is a place where ceilings are meant to be broken. Uh, we coined this term for a couple of reasons. One, we love uh, a church that is not just doing the same thing every single week, and that's why we're doing Circle Sundays, but also for us personally that we don't hit a ceiling in our life and go, oh well, you know, that's it. I'm just going to sit here and that's all that I'm going to be. No, we want people that grow. We want people that expand. We want people that break ceilings in their life. And I hope that you do as well. And so we're hoping with Circle Sunday that we are truly sharing wisdom and experience and, and, and support and encouragement as well uh, to one another. And so please, please, please come for Circle Sunday. We're not going to force you to say anything if you don't want to say anything. Uh, maybe we'll have little cards at the door that you can pick up that just says pass if you don't even want to say pass so that every time someone looks at you, <laughs> but don't worry, by the third Circle Sunday, hopefully you get how this works. But, um, but also, um, we need your questions. We have received a number of questions over the last couple of weeks. Um, so you can text them. I've actually created in our app a portion that you can also uh, just send in, in in case you forget the number. And, and so send in your questions, particularly around the principles that have been shared or are being shared today, uh, so that we can break it up and, and really get into these principles next Sunday. Are you excited for it? Yeah. I'm excited for it. I think that is going to be so much fun. If, I, if there's one thing I know about this church is that we love having a laugh. And so we'll laugh at ourselves, we'll laugh at each other, uh, but we'll also grow and learn as we do that. Well, today I'm going to be sharing uh, the last two principles. So the first week we spoke about love and mutual submission. We spoke about how love is about um, is, is having the unconditional love of God, the agape love as the standard. We spoke about how practically we practice um, a, a philia, which is a, a walking alongside friendship kind of a love, and storge, which is this caring, parental, nurturing sense that we have amongst each other. And so we practice philia and storge. So agape as a standard, philia and storge as a practice. And we talked about mutual submission that, that flows from that, that we actually not just subject ourselves to every person and roll over, but that we submit to one another and not just to one another's uh, uh, um, you know, wants or needs, but also to one another's advice. And, and so we spoke from there that mutual submission is great, but for it to fully, properly work in today's world, we need to have boundaries. 
That was last week. We spoke about boundaries, the need for boundaries. And particularly last week, I think a lot of people had a lot of questions around boundaries. Um, and, and so it'll be interesting to dive into some of them next week. But we need boundaries. Why? Because the people that we can truly trust that are on our journey, that we are going to both be submitting to, will be in the inner circle. We need to know people's ways before we bring them into our inner circle. That's about boundaries. And there are some people that are outside, some people that are closer in, there are different levels. Jesus shows us that boundaries are healthy. Um, he doesn't give us specifically how to make boundaries or like, you know, that if, if your name is John, you are allowed in the inner circle. But if your name is Thomas, or at least circle two. No, no, no. Jesus doesn't talk about it this way, but we can see through the Bible that there are uh, things that we can use, wisdom that we can use in construction these boundaries. And then from boundaries, we spoke about forgiveness. We spoke about how people will let us down. People will fail our expectations, and therefore there is a need for forgiveness. Sometimes we even break our own expectations of ourselves, and therefore we don't make any friends, we don't let anyone in because we don't think that we are worthy. And that forgiveness is required to maintain healthy boundaries, but also to articulate hurt and to let that be out there so that you can actually deal with it. And, and so that was what we spoke about with forgiveness. Today we are going to speak about communication. And the two principles are both to do with communication. Because how many of you know that if you have a relationship, you have communication? If you don't have a relationship, you don't have communication. And on the flip side, if you don't have communication, you don't have a relationship. And I would say that if you have healthy communication, you will have a healthy relationship. If you have an unhealthy relationship, more than likely communication is the issue. As a person who has done a number of premarital counseling uh, sessions and some marital counseling sessions as well, the number one thing that comes up Yes, finances are a part of it. Yes, the number of kids that you want becomes a part of it. Yes, all of those issues come in. But the number one thing that people need to learn in living physically together for the rest of your life is communication. And so today I want to talk about two different uh, kinds of communication that we need to implement in our lives. And the first one is this. We need to communicate for peacekeeping. Peacekeeping, communication for peacekeeping. Matthew 5 verse 9, Jesus was teaching the crowd this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now I looked at this, right? They will be called children of God. Does this sound familiar to anyone else? Besides this one verse, of course, this is a pretty famous verse. It, doesn't the Bible actually describe that uh, when Jesus, when you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God? Yeah, you become sons and daughters of God. You are adopted into the family, right? Sound familiar? Yeah. That is actually a core part of our belief. That's why we love God so much, because He loves us first. And the way that the Bible describes that is through the doctrine of adoption, which we will be talking about later this year in a series called Sons and Daughters, which Pastor Beck will be speaking at as well. So I hope you're excited about it. But blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. We are also called children of God because we have accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So blessed are the peacemakers because they are Christians. Does that make sense? I was thinking about that and I was like, you know, sometimes we think about being Christians as pretty simple. It's like, I believe in Jesus, I've said the sinner's prayer, I'm a Christian. Wrong. 
A person who is a Christian has said this in this prayer of some description, but at the very least invited Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but then goes on to live as how Jesus has commanded us. The Bible does not say that you have received salvation, now go forth and do the same as you always done. The Bible actually tells us that you have been saved and now therefore you will live differently because you are part of a new family, a new kingdom, and there's a different culture that is attached to this kingdom. And so you live it out. And this is one of those verses that shows us that as part of the kingdom of God, there are certain ways that we live, and one of them is to be a peacemaker. And some people have taken this whole idea of peacemaking and got it really wrong, and they think about it as peacekeeping. See, the problem with peacekeeping is that all you're doing is keeping the peace that already is available to you, Right? You're keeping, this is, this is what we have. And so, especially in relationship, especially new relationships, you, you don't actually know how much peace there is, and so you're just trying to keep it neutral. The thing about peace making is that you are actively making more peace. The word makers uh, is, is a very active word. In the Greek, it, it simply means to do, to produce peace. It is not to keep peace, it's to make peace, it's to create peace. And the word peace, some of us think about it as being quiet, tranquility, and that is a part of it, but that is probably more the icing on the cake. When it comes to relationship, when the Bible describes peace, it's describing concordance, it's describing unity, togetherness. Remember, one of the principles that we spoke about is uh, walking alongside each other kind of a love, philia. How can you philia with someone you do not have a concordance with? If Beck is heading in this direction and I'm heading in that direction, there is no peace. There is no philia because I'm not going to walk with her. My first relationship and only other relationship besides Beck fell apart because literally uh, my ex-girlfriend uh, said to me, Nate, we are heading in different directions. And that was it. And no matter how much I tried to show her that I was going on the same path as her, she was like, no, you're going that way. And she said this to me, which was really interesting at that time, very painful at that time. But she said to me, it's like, either I will have to compromise what God has put on my heart, or you will have to compromise what God has put on your heart. We cannot walk in this kind of concordance that you are envisioning in this kind of relationship. We can be friends, but we are not really going down the same kind of a path. And that was a, a massive thing that I was thinking about because, you know, we, we, it's not just about feeling good. It's not just about not fighting. Me and my ex, we never fought. But it wasn't about that. It was about the fact that we weren't actually building a life that was together was in unity. And so uh, years later, I'm, I'm together with Beck. And, you know, one of the things that my ex told me is that I talk too much about the church. He's like, can we just have a date where we don't talk about the church? And I was like, oh, okay. What do you want to talk about? And, and when I got together with Beck, I was like, oh, do I talk about the church or not? And the more we got together, the more Beck wanted to talk about the church. And the more I was talking about church, I was like, there's a concordance here. There's a unity here. And that's something that we need to realize that as peacemakers, 
We are building this unity and concordance. We're not going in different directions. And obviously, there's a complexity to this. This is not just simply, I want to have Asian for lunch and you want to have burgers. See you later. I'm not talking about something like there are different things and different aspects to our life. But what we are trying to do is to not have a discord. We're not trying to break each other apart. We are having a concordance, a togetherness. And this is something, another way that the Bible puts it is in 1 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19. It says, All this is from God who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Let's just pause there for a moment. This is one of Paul's ways of describing the gospel. Christ died for us so that we could be in concordance with God. Christ died so that we could be reconciled together with God, living with God once again. That is the message of reconciliation. And it go, Paul goes and says, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Peacemaking often requires reconciliation. That's why we spoke about forgiveness last week, because so many of us think that because we are trying to keep the peace, we don't reconcile. We don't live properly in concordance and unity. And so we need to learn how to communicate for peacemaking and not for peacekeeping. And so I have a couple of thoughts about this. This is not necessarily straight from the Word of God, but I want you to just hold this in mind. But talking about communication, communicating for peacemaking, and the whole point of this communication is to bring people into unity with one another, right? And so what do you need? I think that there are two key ingredients. The first is this, assertiveness. The second is this, listening. You see... Communication is necessarily two ways. It means that I'm communicating something, whether by words or by action, and the other person is receiving it. There is a send and a receive function. The problem with many peacekeeping missions, or sorry, peacemaking missions, is that one, we don't know how to assert, or two, we don't know how to listen. And so there isn't unity. I'm making this very simple because I think it is simple. It is difficult to implement, but it's simple to understand. When I assert terribly, the other person, no matter how good a listener they are, does not receive the message. In Christianity, assertiveness has come under, uh, I don't know, it just seems to be filed under, we do not do this. In fact, I heard that there were churches that apparently uh, they hold politeness as a higher value than speaking what is going on in your life. And so we end up in, in this relational space where all of us are being polite, which means that you are not saying what you want to say because of some kind of idea of respect. And we, how am I supposed to have concordance with someone that I don't know anything about? How am I supposed to be in relationship and to have a unity with you when I don't know where you are at and where you are going? Assertiveness is not about being rude and going around saying, well, you smell like poo. Assertiveness is actually about me going, what is going on inside? Hey, I, I actually feel uncomfortable. I feel 
frustrated because you don't listen to me. Or whatever it is, is actually asserting, is actually coming out and saying what's on your heart. And then we need to then listen. We need to be in a posture where it's like, what are you trying to say to me? See, in, in, in our marriage, I'm very assertive and a terrible listener. Beck is a terrible assert and a very good listener. And so for many years, I thought we were doing great because I was asserting and she was listening and I was like, oh, this is great. It was only like probably, what, three years ago after five years of marriage, I was like, sometimes Beck doesn't say what she wants to say. Sometimes Beck's not actually telling me what's on her heart. And you know what? It was like, I, was, I felt like I was an excavator going like, well, What's on your heart? What's on your heart? And, and the way that I did it was by being very assertive. You need to tell me what's on your heart, which didn't really work very well. But we had to learn how to do that. But I'm just trying to say this to show you that assertiveness is a necessary part of relationships, especially with in, in terms of your boundaries. With your inner circle, you should be able to have the safety to assert without worry that is going to be misunderstood. Of course, when I'm being assertive to someone who's barely been around me, there is a high risk that they are going to misunderstand my intentions or my heart. But especially for the inner circles, how are you assertive? You know, I hear so many Christians say, but I don't want to burden the other person. Oh, I, I don't want to be like in a pity party. It's like, you know what? You already are in a pity party. Asserting will get you out of the pity party into our friendship party. So why don't you leave the pity party, assert yourself, allow a person who you trust who will listen to you and will bring you out of the pity party and show you what a real party looks like. You see, that's what philia is supposed to be like. That's what Storja is supposed to be like in the community of God, where I'm willing to walk with you through your journey and whatever is going on to be able to listen to you. Now, I can't do that as your pastor for everyone, but what I want is a community where people understand these principles, act on these principles so that you will find someone or some two, some three, some group of people that you can actually be open and vulnerable about. Assertiveness is not being about strong, about being confident. It's just about being bold enough to be open. And listening is one of the greatest, greatest, greatest gifts you can give to someone else. How, how, how do you listen and how do you assert? Those are a couple of questions I would like to leave with you with this principle. It is not a, a, a big, a difficult principle to unpack in, in, in that let's be making peace in our community. But I think it's actually just really difficult. And the reason why it's difficult is different for every person. Maybe you grew up in a place where you were told that no one wants to hear your opinion. I, I know that for me, no one said that directly to me, but I was more of an in, I was a, very much an introvert growing up, and I felt that no one wanted to hear me. I was always like in a small group. I was always in a place where I was about to say something, and the group leader was like, "All right, let's move on." I was like, "Okay." I was about to say, "Let's move on," and it made me feel as though that you know I was just never quick enough 
to share. I think a part of that is why I'm so assertive now is because I better share before anyone else shuts me down and that maybe was a bit of a reaction. But, but that was something that I had to work through. And I know many people that went the other way when, and they just simply say, well, no one wants to hear me. Some people just have got loud families. It's true. Like, it's like, yeah, my, my sibling always spoke over me, so I never had to say anything. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> and it's true. It happens. But why haven't you asserted well? healthily? And then why don't you listen? Why haven't you given the gift of listening to someone else? How do you listen? Do you truly listen? You know, one of the things that I really had to learn is that listening is not about being able to give the best advice after you've heard what the person has to say. It's just to listen. I thought that was very strange. I thought it was like, you just wasted half an hour of my life telling me your story and then telling me you don't want my opinion. <laughs> and then I learned that, no, me solving other people's problems is not what concordance is about. Me listening to someone else is just simply to say, your voice needs to be heard. Your story should be shared. Yes. And I'm a vessel to listen to that story. This is coming from a person that studied counselling. And I was told every practical session, Nate, you need to listen more and stop giving advice. Like, okay, I get it, it's hard. What is not natural to you is going to be hard. But if you want to make peace in relationships, if you truly want to live out relationships the way that God has intended, you need to learn to both assert and to listen. But it's not just about asserting and listening full stop. That is something that we do a lot, but there's something else. There's another principle about communication that is also really important, and that is communication for edification. Let me read to you a verse. 1 Thessalonians 5. Does this make me sound like a lisp? 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11 says this. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with Him. Again, Paul summarizes the salvation story in a different way. God appointed us to receive salvation. God desires and, and chooses that you would receive salvation. Amazing. This is, He died for us so that we can have life. Amazing. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. Jesus has saved us, so encourage and build one another up. Do you hear the importance of this? Whenever Paul summarizes the, the, the salvation story, he's like, this is the crux of being Christian. If you are Christian, encourage and build one another up. You know, I think that sometimes I personally don't even understand how core and how powerful it is to encourage and build one another up. Now, the words building each other up is also the word edify, is the word that's translated edify. Now, the word edify, sorry, my mic's pulling my face. There we go. The word edify in the Greek is oikodomeo. Oikodomeo. Don't worry, it's not going to come up. And um, it, it is uh, a form of the word oikodome. Makes sense, right? Oikodomeo, oikodome. 
Now, the word oikodo may literally is the word building. So to give you an example, uh, uh, when Jesus was with his disciples and they were going through Jerusalem, uh, this was close to the time that he was about to be crucified, and, and, and they walked past uh, the temple. And the disciples saw the temple and they thought that it was so majestic that they should point it out to Jesus. And so they said to Jesus, Jesus, look at these oikodomai, literal, building. And so Paul uses this word, or rather, the Greek uses the word building to then say, to edify. Does that make sense? Is that landing? To edify someone isn't just to pat them on the back. It actually is to help them construct themselves into a stronger form, a bigger form, a, a better form. So when we use our words to encourage one another, is that encouragement actually going to lead to the person being bigger, stronger, better? You see, edification is important because as a builder, you don't just chuck a bunch of bricks in a spot and hope that it actually is a building. A building necessarily requires a certain level of architecture, planning. It requires you to know your materials. It requires you to know the foundation. It requires you to know something about what you are trying to produce. I cannot build if I don't know anything about you. If I don't know you, how am I supposed to edify you? Now, obviously, God can use whatever happens. Like right now, I hope I'm being edifying. Um, through this message, I hope that the worship time was edifying. But it's not a very personal edification. It is just kind of like, it's a bit of a scattered edification. The way that you are going to be built up is not so much from hearing a million messages, but is actually more in smaller groups and more smaller circles where people actually know you and intentionally is building you up. Now, I heard a story a little while ago about uh, a guy who went to a third world nation uh, uh, as a part of a mission trip. And he went on this mission trip with a bunch of um, young people and um, they went there to build a school. And I was like, that is amazing. Can you imagine what it's like to do a mission trip? You go to this third world nation, they say, we need a school, and you build a school. And it's like, wow, this is amazing. I've done something that is so like, meaningful, right? And so I asked him, like, so, so you, you guys actually brought some builders along? No, 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 no. We just went there and they had the stuff there and then we built. We, we just did it. And, and um, so as he continued the story, uh, as it was, there was a delay in their, uh, for their trip home. And so they ended up staying in the village for a day longer. On that day that they uh, were leaving, which was a, you know, so hopefully you catch, they were supposed to have gone already. They stayed an extra day. During that extra day, when they were heading out, they saw the villagers tearing down the school. They literally saw the villagers tearing down the school. And so as they found out, this third world nation village had found out that the best way to get white people or rich people, maybe you should put it rich people because not all white people are rich, but Australians to come over is to give them a project to do that will make them feel better. Truly, all that was meaningful for them was the money that was getting thrown into the economy through them coming over to build a school that they did not need. 
And this guy actually said it was actually probably a good thing because when we looked at the school, some of the walls were a little crooked. They weren't really straight because we didn't know what we were doing. When he said that story and I was thinking about edification, how many of us have this kind of scattered approach? How many of us go around throwing Christian platitudes? Oh, just have more faith. God loves you. God is for you. If God is for you, who can be against you? No weapon formed against you is still prosper. All true, all amazing, but is it edifying? It's two completely different concepts. If the person is not in a place where that platitude is going to be useful in building them up, in fact, this is part of my research that I'm doing this year. It's part of my studies. There is something called religious strain. And religious strain is this, that when I say something like God is a miracle worker, but the miracle hasn't happened for you, and you think that God doesn't like you, and therefore he hasn't worked that miracle, for that person is actually a strain. Is God a miracle worker? Yes. Can God do crazy amounts of healing? Yes. Has God worked that healing out for that person? Perhaps not. Why? We've got to deal with the complexity of that issue for that person. We can't just simply say, just believe more. I even heard the story of a person who had a miscarriage and the, the pastor of her church gave her a book that basically said, your child died because you didn't have enough faith. Why is it that Christians are some of the most... We try to be so polite and sometimes we end up being so calloused and mindless. And I think that's because our intention is to edify, but our process of edification might not be as good as we think it is. To edify someone, you are building them up. You understand the blueprint. So number one, do you know what the Bible says about people? Do you know what the Bible says about human's design? Do you understand how to build according to the architect's viewpoint of how this world works? And then do you get to know the person well enough to match them according to the blueprint that God has got for them? I'm not saying that edification always sounds nice or makes the person feel better. Some of the edification I have received as a human being was a slap across the face. It wasn't nice to receive some of the edification that I needed to receive. But sometimes it is for my good. It is for my betterment. It's to make me stronger. Let me give you an example of one. I had just gone through that breakup and I was in a very desperate uh, place internally because I was asking so many questions of God. And I was speaking to my mentor, and I was saying to my mentor, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do about this, da-da-da-da-da. And this was probably about the 10th time that he had heard the very same spiel that I was working through. And he just simply said this, he's like, Nate, you already know all this stuff. You know this. You're able to walk past this. And I realized... I didn't want to walk past this. I realized that I was stuck because even just thinking about a relationship was better than not having a relationship. That's where I was at. And so he slapped me in the most gentle way possible. And suddenly I felt, this guy actually believes that I'm better than this. This guy actually believes that I've got more ahead for me than what was before me. 
I think I can do that. And that, that, that one line represented a shift in season for me from a place of processing and living in the past for the last three months to a place where I was starting to go, okay, what next? All because he edified me. He gave me a little block. And he said, Nate, you can move on. Now, I'm not saying that that's the same block you give to every person that's gone through a breakup, but that's what I'm saying. He knew me. He had heard me. He had listened to me. He knew where I was at. And then he went, now's the time to push him forward with a gentle little slap. So I thank him for it. So we need to communicate for peacemaking, but we also need to communicate for building up. Parents, future parents, your words can make or break your child. Leaders, your words can make or break a follower. Are you building up or you're tearing down? The Bible tells us in Proverbs 18.21, the tongue has the power of life and death. And so this morning, as I wrap up, I want to leave you with these thoughts. How are you peacemaking and how are you edifying? Who have you encouraged recently? Who have you gotten to know recently? Are you better at asserting or listening? If you're better at listening, how are you going to grow in your assertiveness? If you're better at the other way, then do it the other way around. <laughs> I just forgot where I am. But this morning, can I also just say, both of these principles are done because we know what God has done for us. We don't do, do this in isolation. We don't do this just because it's a good thing to do. We as Christians do it because there is a therefore in the Bible. Because Christ has died for me, He has reconciled me, He has brought peace into my life, He is the master builder, therefore I can make peace and edify. Because I understand how much God loves me and desires for me to grow and to be living as a citizen of heaven, as a son in His house, I then, therefore, can practice these things. And so this morning, before we go any further, I want you all just close your eyes for a moment and ask yourself this. Do you realize how much Christ loves you? Do you realize how much God went through to bring reconciliation and to put you into a place uh, that you can grow, that you can be stronger, that you can be better, that you can have life and life overflowing? Because that is what Christ has done for us. When Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just to give you a free pass to do whatever you want in your life. When Christ died for you on the cross, it was to give you a new life, completely new, brand spanking new. It was to allow you to be able to live according to His culture and His principles. It's to give you the strength and the grace to be able to continue on. And so this morning, if you've walked away from Christ, I totally get why it's difficult for you to, to make peace. 
If Christ is not central to your life, if you don't know how much God loves you, I can understand why building someone else up is highly difficult. Or the other way around as well. To receive edification is also really difficult because you don't know how much Christ has already done. And so this morning, if you would like to bring Christ back in into your life or into your life for the first time, I would love to invite you to say this prayer with me. No one is looking around. I'm not going to ask you to lift your hand, raise your hand or anything. But in this moment, if you would like to invite Jesus into your life, can you please say this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I invite you into my life. I know that I have sinned. I know I missed the mark. But I know that you died on a cross for me. And you rose the third day so that I can have resurrection life. So I invite you into my life. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.